0: The scripture reading tonight is Acts chapter 27. Acts 27, we will read the whole chapter. The text is verse 35. It's the text that I preached in Edgerton on Thanksgiving Day, but believe it still has application for us a couple days later and application to us throughout the whole year. In this passage, Paul is on a ship headed for Rome. He was a prisoner going to Rome prisoner and he gets in a shipwreck. In the midst of that shipwreck, he has food and gives thanks for it. And that's the text, the text tonight. We begin at Acts 27, verse 1. And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus's band, and entering into a ship of... Adramiteum, we launched, meaning to sail by the coasts of Asia, one Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. And the next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go on to his friends to refresh himself. And when we had launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy, and he put us therein. And when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Snidus, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete, over against Salmon. And hardly passing it, came unto a place which is called the Fair Havens, nigh whereunto was the city of Lycia. Now, when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and said unto them, "Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives." Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Phenis, and there to winter, which is an haven of Crete, and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. And when the south wind blew softly, Supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Euroclidon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat. Which, when they had taken up, they used helps "'undergirding the ship, and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, "'straight sail, and so were were driven. "'And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, "'the next day they lightened the ship. "'And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. "'And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, "'and no small tempest lay on us, "'all hope that we should be saved was then taken away.' But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me, and not have loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me, howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. But when the 14th night was come, as we were driven up and down in Adria about midnight, the ship de- shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country and sounded. And found it 20 fathoms and when they had gone a little farther they sounded again and found it 15 fathoms then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day and as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship when they had let down the boat into the sea under color as though they would have cast anchors out of the fore ship paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers Except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, This day is the fourteenth day that ye have tarried, and continued fasting, having taken nothing. Wherefore, I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health. For there shall not a hair fall from the head of any of you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread, and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all, and when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then were they all of good cheer, and they also took some meat, and we were in all in the ship, two hundred threescore and sixteen souls. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, and cast out the wheat into the sea. And when it was day, they knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek with a shore, into the which they were minded, if it were possible, to thrust in the ship. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves unto the sea and loosed the rudder bands and hoisted up the mainsail to the wind and made toward shore. And falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the forepart stuck fast and remained unmovable. But the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose, and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship... And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. And so far do we read God's holy and inspired word. The text is verse 35. Verse 35. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Acts 27, verse 35, is an appropriate passage for this time of year, for this week. On Thanksgiving Day, and and even this afternoon, we sat down at our tables. Tables probably full of food. And before we ate, we prayed. We prayed in thanksgiving to God. We did that after the example that that Paul and others set in the Word. We do that after the example of Acts 27, verse 35, where Paul, before he eats, gives thanks to God in prayer. God's Word in Acts 27 will show us today, remind us why we give thanks to God for food. And it will strengthen and encourage us to continue to give thanks for it from the heart. The word today will strengthen us to give thanks to God, even in difficult circumstances. Paul did. He was on a ship in the middle of a huge storm, all kinds of busyness around him, heathen men around him, and in that environment, in that situation, he stopped, gave thanks to God in front of them all for the food God had given May we be strengthened to do the same in the midst of hard circumstances today, to the praise of our great and merciful God. Let's consider the text under the theme Paul's Mealtime Prayer of Thanks. Paul's Mealtime Prayer of Thanks. First, the prayer. Second, the circumstances. And third, the explanation. The prayer, the circumstances, the explanation. We begin with the prayer, and to understand that prayer, we first need to understand the context in which Paul made the prayer, the prayer of thanksgiving. Paul had been imprisoned and had been put on trial, according to Acts 21 and 22. The Jews hated Paul because Paul preached about Jesus. The Jews didn't like Jesus. So when Paul came to Jerusalem, these Jews that didn't like Paul, they made false charges against him, saying that he had disrespected the worship of God at the temple when he really hadn't done that. But that's what they said. And they got the people, other people all up, they got him all in an uproar over it and a mob formed and that mob went throughout the city to find Paul and they were going to take care of him they found him in the temple they dragged him out they started beating on him now a roman captain was there nearby and he saw what was happening to paul and before those men beat him to death that captain stopped what was happening And he took Paul with him up to the guard's tower by the temple where Roman soldiers were and watched over things that happened at the temple. That Roman captain, he ordered a beating of Paul and even put him in prison. He thought that Paul must have done something wrong to have all these people after him, this whole mob coming after him to hurt him. He must have done something wrong, so he put him in jail. While Paul was in prison god came to him that very first night and god assured him that he was with paul and god told him that he would even be brought to rome as a prisoner to preach the gospel so god was telling him, this is for the good of of you and the church That Roman captain, he soon sent Paul to Caesarea to be tried there in the courts. And first, Paul was tried by the Roman governor, Felix, who couldn't find anything wrong with Paul, but kept him in in prison because he was afraid of the Jews. Two years later, there was a new governor named Felix, and the same thing happened. He couldn't find anything wrong with Paul, but kept him in prison because he was afraid of the Jews. Well, Paul, being a Roman citizen, he appealed to Rome to be tried in the courts there, and he was put on a ship headed for Rome. The ship was a a small cargo boat that would go west across the Mediterranean Sea, really hugging the coastline, the southern coastline of Asia Minor, and stopping at all the ports along the way, or many of the ports along the way. And aboard that small cargo ship was, of course, Paul, but also the sailors. And there were also prisoners, other prisoners. There was a Roman centurion named Julius who was in charge of all these prisoners. And Julius had along with him many Roman soldiers to help keep watch over those prisoners. And apparently other passengers were allowed besides the prisoners on this small boat. Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, he was one of the passengers. We know that because Luke is the writer of the book of Acts, and in this chapter, he uses the pronoun we. He says, we sailed and we launched. So he was there along with Paul. Paul had a fellow believer there with him. And also, the the, the passage mentions Aristarchus, a Macedonian, believer and devoted friend of Paul, he was along too on this ship. Now when this ship got to Myra, a city on the southern coast of Asia Minor, then Julius found a, a bigger ship in the port that they could all get onto and head towards Rome. And thinking that was a better idea beyond this bigger freighter and these waters, this big sea, the Mediterranean Sea, he transferred all the members of his ship to that bigger one. There, was no fewer, there were no fewer than 276 people on this bigger ship, according to verse 37. Now, after they got on the bigger ship, things really started to slow down. There were contrary winds, keeping them from getting, making very much headway westward. And so they often had to anchor and wait for the winds to change. Because of the winds and because the dangerous, stormy winter season was approaching when it was not good to sail, because that season was approaching, they decided to head south and try to get under the island of Crete and use that really to block the wind so they could start to make some progress towards Rome. But as they went around Crete, And got around to the southern side of it, they really weren't making very much more progress. Things were slow. And they stopped at a small bay off the coast of Crete called the Fair Havens. They had a decision to make there at the Fair Havens. They weren't, clearly, they weren't going to make it all the way to Rome or Italy before that that stormy season came, that winter stormy season on the seas. They weren't going to make it. They were going to have to winter somewhere, spend about three months somewhere. And many of the men, especially the sailors, wanted to get to Phenis, another uh, town on the coast of Crete that had a better harbor, better place to stay for the winter than the Fair Havens. The problem with getting to Phenis was that you would have to go around a bend The island of Crete was shaped in such a way you'd have to go around a bend to get there and then go north a little ways. And there were often winds that swept down through that area because of the the shape of the coastline, often winds that blew that way that could cause big storms, especially at that time of the year. So Paul advised that they not go there. They spend the winter in the Fair Havens. But against Paul's advice... The sailors decided to head for Fennis when the winds began to blow from the south. They thought, we'll get around that bend, the winds will push us up right into the harbor of Fennis, and it will all work out well. But as they headed towards Fenis, things did not work out so well. They got caught in a terrible storm. The type of storm that they were caught in even has a name. They called it Euroclidon, according to verse 14. That name referred simply to a great northeastern wind, wind of great strength. The air current of Euro-Clyden, the an air current came rushing down the Cretan mountains. A northeastern wind came rushing down the Cretan mountains, and then it met that wind blowing from the south. So that as they went around that bend of the island of Crete, there were those two air currents meeting. And what it caused was a tempestuous sea, according to Luke. And that word, tempestuous sea, means typhoon. That's really what they faced here. There was a whirling motion of the clouds and sea due to the meeting of contrary air currents. That's exactly what made the the sailing at this time of the year such a dangerous thing. Now, those on board the ship... They did all that they could to keep that ship afloat in the midst of these, this massive storm when waves are sweeping over the sides and there's all this wind. They do everything they can to keep the ship from sinking. According to verse 17, they put several turns of rope around the ship's framework. The idea was that they then could secure the framework and 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 when the waves beat against it the ship wouldn't fall apart so easily or so quickly they also lightened the ship by dumping over the side any extra cargo they could and the men were busy plugging holes and bailing water out they were busy securing the ship verse 16 but the storm continued many days according to verse Twenty just kept going and how tired the men must have gotten they, they were working around the clock they weren't hardly eating anything they weren't eating because there was so much work to do they, they, they couldn't even think about eating you know how that can go sometimes when you're so busy you don't even think about having food and that was the case here and most of the food that they did have it probably was spoiled by seawater and preparation of it, and under the circumstances of a huge storm with this water sleeping over the side and maybe rain coming down often, preparation of it was very difficult. So you can imagine they're getting weak. They're getting tired. They're sick even from the ships tossing. There must have been some that had seasickness from this storm and being in this ship for so long. The men were, with, the men were without hope and, and scared to death. That is, except Paul. In the midst of the storm, God reassured Paul that he would reach Caesar. He would preach the gospel in Rome. And God even told him in the midst of this storm that all the people on the ship, they would all be kept. None of them would die. All they would lose was the ship. That's verse 22. Paul informed the the men of that. You can imagine what those men thought as they heard Paul say, none of them are going to die in this storm. But nobody contradicted him. Then Paul told them they were getting close to an island. Verse 26. They had been blown to the central part of the Mediterranean Sea. They were getting close to this this island there, and they could hear even waves. After several days, they could hear waves breaking on the rocks of that island. They knew they were close. They threw out the anchors, and they decided to wait until daybreak. The sailors had to see what the coast looked like, what the beach looked like, so they could see if it was even possible to beach that ship and where they would beach it. They were at least going to try to beach it. Paul had said that the ship would be lost, but they're going to try. The sailors, though, they were were pretty worried about their situation near to this island. They they weren't sure that the anchors would hold in the wind of this storm. And, And even if the anchors held, they thought that the ship would be nearly impossible to beach on an island where they could hear all the, these waves hitting the rocks. They they kept thinking there's going to be a shipwreck. There's going to be a shipwreck, and we're going to be thrown into these huge waves. We're going to have to swim. You, and you know how maybe some of you have swam in the ocean before, or in a lake where there was big waves on a certain windy day. And you know how hard it can be to swim in huge waves and get swept down by those waves and pushed into the water further and even put under it. It's hard to swim in that situation and and these sailors thinking of all this, thinking of the possibility of shipwreck they decided to try to save themselves by sneaking off in the lifeboat they thought that was their best chance well apparently Paul heard their plan, he told Julius the centurion about it and Julius put a stop to it, they cut the ropes from the boat that was being lowered so those sailors couldn't get away And Paul told them all, we need all of us to stay on this boat. They were certainly in a difficult situation. That's very evident. They were hungry. They hadn't eaten. Many of them hadn't eaten for days, we read. They were tired. They were cold, no doubt. Nearing the winter season, all this water sweeping over the sides. Yet they had lots of work to do if they were going to to reach land safely from a sinking ship in the midst of these huge waves around them. Paul saw that he and the sailors and the prisoners who are helping, everybody who's working, They, they need food. That's verse 34. As they're waiting for daybreak near to this island, they're here in the water hitting the rocks, Paul says, we need food. Verse 34, wherefore I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health. And then Paul assures them that God's going to bring them safely to the island. He says, there shall not a hair fall from the head of any of you. Now before they eat the meal, Paul, in the presence of all these men, somehow he got them all to stop for a moment. In the presence of all these men, he gives thanks to God in prayer for the food. That's verse 35. When he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in presence of them all. What does it mean that Paul gave thanks to God there on the ship? What does that mean? Well, first, that Paul gave thanks to God for this food means that he acknowledged God as the giver. He pointed to God as the giver. He didn't point to himself. He didn't point to the government as the supplier of this food. He didn't point to any man on earth. He said, God's the, ultimately, God is the giver. We did not do anything to deserve it. Thou, O God, the great ruler of heaven and earth, has provided this food for us. And we know Paul must certainly have made very clear to these men that the God he was praying to was Jehovah, the one true God. He wasn't praying to some pagan God that maybe some of these men worshipped. He was praying to (laughs) Jehovah, the one true God who had sent Jesus to save his people from their sins. No doubt he even prayed the prayer in Jesus' name. That Paul thanked God means that he acknowledged God as the giver. He pointed to God. And second, that he thanked God for this food means that he was saying... That it served to his good and the good of the church. And he was appreciative of that. When you thank someone for something, you are saying that what they've given you serves to your good, it serves to benefit you. So you say thanks, you show your appreciation. Well, when this text says Paul gave thanks to God, part of what it means is that he said to God that this serves to my good and the good of the church, and I'm appreciative of that. Paul and the others on the ship, they needed the food for mental strength and for physical strength to continue to take care of the boat in a storm and to swim to shore later in those huge waves, they needed physical strength. Paul knew that God uses means. He uses tools to give physical strength. What means does he use? He uses food and drink. Paul was thankful that God gave food For he needed it if he was going to survive and go to Rome and preach the gospel. Serving to the gathering of the church and the good of the church. He was thankful that God gave food to the people on the ship. For if he was going to get to Rome and spread the gospel there, he needed the sailors and others to to help, take care of the ship now. And help as they all try to get to shore safely. By thanking God, Paul was saying, God's the giver, and God even makes us to serve to my good and the good of his church for Jesus' sake. Now we do what Paul did before we eat. We give thanks to God for food and prayer. We did that on Thanksgiving Day. We did that Saturday. We did that today when we gathered as families or when we ate at our homes. We gave thanks to God before we ate. And that means we acknowledged Him as the giver. We pointed to Him. We didn't point to self. We don't say, well, I worked hard for it or this or this person ultimately was the one who got me this food. No, we point to God as the giver the one who controls and rules all things. And we acknowledge we, deserve not, we don't deserve it, but thou, O God, has provided it. So we thank God before the meal by pointing to Him as the giver and also acknowledging that He uses it for our good and for the good of His church. The food and drink that God gives to us and has given us today It serves to our good. That food and drink serves to strengthen us so that we could even come here physically and worship now. That food and drink serves to strengthen us so that tomorrow we can go to work and do our jobs to the best of our ability. That food and drink serves to strengthen us physically so that we can help others in the church tomorrow, so that we can teach our children tomorrow the fear of God's name and have the energy to do that. We give thanks to God in prayer before we eat. Kids, we give thanks to God before we eat because that's what God's people did in Scripture. You might wonder today, some days, why do we pray before we eat always? Well, that's what God's people did in Scripture. That's what Paul did in this passage. That's even what Jesus did. John chapter 6, verse 11. Jesus fed the 5,000 there. Well, before they started eating, we read that Jesus gave thanks for the food. Since Jesus, Paul, and other believers in Scripture gave thanks to God before they ate. We do the same. And we have much to be thankful for. And mealtime is a good time to stop and give thanks to God for the many gifts that He gives to us throughout the whole day. God provides us with all that we need physically in this life. Th- think of that for a, for a moment. He gives us the food we need. He gives us shelter from the cold. He gives to us clothing. He makes it even to serve our benefit. God gives to us all that we need spiritually too. What's the greatest gift that God has given to us? Kids, you think of that. The greatest gift. You know the answer. It's his only begotten son that he sent to die, to pay for our sins. He gave us the gift of His Son. He gives to us faith. He has given to us forgiveness and gives us strength to serve Him and want to worship Him even now. God gives to us so many gifts. And mealtime is a great time to stop and thank God for the food and for all the other gifts that He gives to us. May we truly from the heart give thanks to God before our meals. May we truly from the heart give thanks to God before our meals. And we need that reminder tonight. You might think we know that. We know we still need a reminder because we live in the midst of a wicked world that does not give thanks to God and that can start to influence us. At Thanksgiving time, for instance, the world discusses what they're thankful for. Maybe you saw some celebrities or athletes on TV on Thursday talking about what they're thankful for. You read about it on the Internet, and they say that I- I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for food. I'm thankful for this job that I have. They say they're thankful for many things, but notice that when you hear that said on TV almost every time, they stop. After saying, I'm thankful for this They stop, and they don't say to whom they're thankful. They don't mention the name God. The world around us, they love to speak of how hard they work for things. They say hard work pays off. Yet they say nothing about the God who gives to them the strength to work hard. They don't point to the one who ultimately gives the food, who ultimately is the one who gives the energy and the strength needed. Going to work or school among the God who give, or going to work or school among the worldly, we can start to be influenced by them so that we think less and less about what God does for us and his provision and more and more about man and me and and what I need to do and what I do to get things, the hard work I do. So we need to be reminded today as those who live in the midst of a wicked world, Give thanks to God for all the gifts that He gives, including the food and drink. He's the ultimate provider. Give thanks to Him. Also, we need a reminder to give thanks to God from the heart. Paul certainly did that in Acts 27, verse 35. He was not saying thanks to God mindlessly in that verse. He's in the middle of a storm. And he wouldn't stop to give thanks to God mindlessly in a storm. No, he was thanking God from the heart, truly appreciative of God giving this food and drink that, that he needed. It's so easy for us to sit at our tables and to pray mindlessly thanks to God. Think of how easy that can happen. We, we just quickly sit down and we quickly pray thanks to God for, for the food before we eat. But really hardly know what we prayed about or what we said. And kids, this applies to you too. You say the prayer, Lord, we thank thee for this food and drink. How easy can we say that so quickly without even thinking about God as the giver and really acknowledging him from the heart to be that giver and the one who even makes it serve our good. Maybe we even go days sometimes without truly giving thanks to God from the heart, truly acknowledging Him as the giver who makes these undeserved gifts serve to our good. Give thanks to Him from the heart today. Give thanks to Him every day for the food that He provides and for all the gifts that He provides. Give thanks in prayer. Now in the second place, tonight, consider the circumstances in which Paul gave thanks. Paul prayed this prayer of thanksgiving in the midst of a terrible storm and facing much trouble. Paul had been facing trouble for a while. He was a prisoner, a prisoner who hadn't even done anything wrong, anything worthy of being brought to prison for you had been in a boat for weeks. You think about what, must, what that must have been like, in a boat for weeks out on the open sea, a boat rocking back and forth in these huge waves. You hardly can see anything around you because there, it's a storm. Haven't been on land in a long time, and, oh, wow, do you wish that you could step foot on land again something sturdy, steady, and not have to be on the ship anymore. And there's hardly any food, and you're cold, and you're wet, and you're tired. Now they came close to an island, but the storm still raged. And God told them that there would even be a shipwreck. They were going to have to swim in those cold, violent waters with big waves. And and the sailors were so worried about that situation that they tried to escape in a lifeboat. The sailors who knew these seas best, they tried to escape. So in the middle of that storm, in the middle of all that trouble, Paul stopped and he thanked God before he ate. He didn't think, well, what's really this food, this little bit of food, when you compare it to the mountains of problems and difficulties we face right now? He didn't think like that. No, he pointed to God as the giver, and the one who would even make this food served his good and the church's good. He gave thanks to God for it in prayer. Now that must be applied to us. We also are to give thanks for food in the midst of storms, in the midst of troubles. And I'm sure there are many troubles and trials that this congregation faces, individuals face, families face today. There are probably some sick here, maybe some with cancer. There are very likely some who this week have thought about the loss of their loved ones who they did not get to spend Thanksgiving with this year. That's hard. And there are no doubt probably some here who face family troubles, family difficulties, disappointments. Maybe things right now in your life are an occasion for being anxious for you. You get anxious about things that are happening right now. In these times, we can be tempted to stop thanking God from the heart for food and for other gifts. We can be tempted to think, what really is that food and drink, the food and drink we have, compared to the mountains of problems that I face right now? Our troubles can consume us so that we hardly think about what God has really given to us. And maybe we stop and we do say thanks before we pray, but our mind really isn't on what we're saying. Our mind is consumed with all those troubles we face. During the storms, too, people of God stop and thank God for his gifts, for the food that he provides, and the other gifts, too. He makes even that food serve to our benefit, strengthening us for our tasks. Thank him. Thank him for it in the midst of storms, too. Regarding the circumstances, Paul gave thanks in the midst of a storm. But also know that he gave thanks in the midst of much busyness. He gave thanks in the midst of much busyness. Consider the busyness of that ship. The sailors, right as Paul, right before Paul stopped them to pray, you can imagine those sailors. They're making plans, talking with each other, making plans of how they're going to beach that ship. You can imagine the other. People running around trying to plug the holes and bale the water. Some probably looking for food after Paul talked about how they should eat. There's people going everywhere and, and the winds are howling and there's, there's huge waves around them. All this stuff's happening. In the middle of it all, Paul stops them. And in the presence of them all, he prays to Jehovah God and thanksgiving for the food and drink. He didn't think there's too much going on to stop and pray. He prayed. Now, we also are to give thanks to God in prayer then in the midst of busy times too. And we do have busy lives. We do have busy homes. Today, as you sat down for Sunday lunch, if you ate with your whole family, maybe extended family, you know about the sounds there were in that house. There were many people talking, maybe kids screaming, maybe younger kids yelling in their games and whatever they're playing beside the table. All kinds of noise. And during the weeks to come when we sit down at our tables at home, maybe there will be a, an event to get to very quickly after supper ends. Maybe there, you have to get to a meeting. You have to get to this game or, or this practice or this other thing. we got to get here and there. There might be a temptation to pray quickly in those situations without much thought. Or maybe even skip prayer all together because we have got to get to this next place. In the midst of all that busyness, we're to stop, think about what God has given, how good He is to us, and give Him thanks from the heart in prayer. And last, regarding the circumstances, Paul prayed this prayer of thanks in front of many others, even unbelievers. Verse 35 says, He took bread and gave thanks to God in presence of them all. So Paul prayed in thanksgiving in front of Luke and Aristarchus, fellow believers, who no doubt joined Paul in this prayer of thanksgiving. Paul also prayed in thanksgiving in front of unbelievers, though pagans. These men listened. These men watched. He wasn't afraid of giving thanks to God in front of them. This was the same Paul who, by the grace of God, had been in prison, had been beaten for speaking about Jehovah and Jesus Christ. He was not afraid now. He did not pray in front of them to show off or anything like that. He prayed in front of them to give thanks to God who had provided this food and drink. He prayed in front of them to give thanks and even to be a witness to them of Jehovah. He was witnessing to them of Jehovah, the only true God whom they needed to provide physically for them, to keep going. He most certainly prayed in Jesus' name right in front of these heathen men, showing them the only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ, His Son, the Savior of His people. He was witnessing in this prayer too. Now, we learn from that. We also are to give thanks before our meals, even when in front of others. And that means we give thanks and prayer before our meals in front of our children. They learn from those prayers how to give thanks to God from the heart for what He provides, and for even making it serve our good. Those children learn as they listen to the prayer and watch, they learn that God is the provider, the ultimate provider, not ultimately the farmer, not ultimately any worker, ultimately God. They learn that through the prayer. They learn to acknowledge Him. They learn to even pray the same way we do. By the grace of God. Young people, pray in thanksgiving for food in front of others at school, too, whether that be high school or college or wherever you are. Maybe there's a temptation to be embarrassed about making a sincere, heartfelt prayer to God giving thanks for food when you're in front of your peers. Don't be embarrassed. God is the one who has provided that food for you, even making it serve for your good. Give him thanks. And your prayer, even in front of others, may serve as a witness to others. It may even lead others at college to ask you questions about who your God is and about who Jesus Christ is. And it may lead someone even who already knows the Savior. It may be a good example to them so that they're more conscious of praying before they eat, giving thanks to God. May encourage them to do what you are doing. So pray before you eat, even in the presence of unbelievers. Pray at restaurants before you eat in thanksgiving to God. Not to show off again, but to give thanks to God. If you're with coworkers, stop before you eat. Pray. Pray before the meal. It's an opportunity to witness humbly of the great God that we have who provides all that we need. You may even have opportunity to speak of Christ to them. Tell them in whose name you you pray. Point to them, I can only go to my Father through Christ. He's the Savior. Look to Him, you tell them. Believe in Him. He's the only hope. In the last place tonight, here, the explanation for Paul's mealtime prayer of thanks. The explanation. Paul made this prayer of thanks as one who knew and believed the truth of God's providence. He made this prayer as one who knew and believed the truth of God's providence. God's providence is his almighty power by which he upholds and rules all things according to his plan. That's God's providence, his almighty power by which he upholds and governs all things according to his plan. Paul had that in mind when he made the prayer he did in verse 35. Paul had God's providence in mind. We know that from verse 34, the verse that comes before our text. Paul says there, wherefore I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health. For there shall not an hair fall from the head of any of you. Paul used the same words that Jesus used to talk about God's providence in Luke 21, verse 18. Jesus had said, There shall not a hair from your head perish. Paul uses those same words. He shows that he knows and he believes the truth of God's providence. He believes that by the faith that God gave him. Christ earned for Paul all the gifts of salvation at the cross. And Christ not worked in Paul to believe that truth of providence so that he truly knew and believed that Jehovah upheld and governed all things, including the ship, including their lives. Paul believed that God controlled the economy so that they had this food on the ship. Paul believed that God controlled the, the, the water. Every little bit of that water that came over the ship, he believed God controlled it so that not all of it, not all this food had been spoiled by that water. God had kept some of that food good so they had something to eat. Jehovah was upholding them in his providence. And concerning God's providence, Paul also knew and believed that Jehovah ruled all things in for the good of his people, for Jesus' sake. He believed that. Romans 8, verse 28, Paul says, We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So he knew and believed that God gave food so that he might be able to go to Rome and spread the gospel, serving to the gathering of the church. He knew and believed that God was ruling all things here on this ship so that all his people that he had determined to be saved, all those who may determine to, to be saved, might even be brought to hear that gospel on the ship. There may have been some there that God had chosen in eternity, and God was so ruling the circumstances of this journey that they would hear Paul talk about Jehovah and Jesus Christ. And they would be brought to salvation. Paul knew and believed that God sent this storm even in all things for the good of his people. According to verse 34, thir- to verse 34 Paul knew and believed the truth of God's providence. And then knowing that truth, verse 35, we read, he gives thanks to God in prayer. It says, God, you're the giver. God, you are the one who makes this food serve to the good of thy people we thank thee now we give thanks to god too as those who know the truth of god's providence and believe it we know we know about that truth there's no doubt about it we are taught in catechism lords day 9 and lords day 10 many of us have heard lords day 9 and lords day 10 preached many many times we know about god's providence We know that Jehovah rules everything. He's the one who governs the rain, the sunshine, and the crops, and the health of the animals so that we get good food from them. He is the one who controls the economy so that when we work at our job, we get some money that we can use to pay for that food. We know about the truth of God's providence. And we don't just know about it. Wonderfully, God works in us to believe it's the truth. And to believe that God even makes all things serve to our good. God gives to us that gift of faith. Jesus Christ earned that gift for us at the cross by paying for all of our sins. And knowing and believing the truth of God's providence, we thank God for the food that he has provided today and every day. And we thank Him for making it serve to our good and the good of the church. Knowing God's providence, we even thank Him in hard times and even for the hard times. Notice that. We thank Him even for the hard times. The truth of His providence is that He averts all evil for us or turns it to our profit. Lord's Day 9 and 10. Thus, even those storms of life that we face only serve to our good, ultimately. Without them, without those think of what would happen. Without those storms, we can easily forget God. But God uses those difficult times to remind us that we need Him. He uses those difficult times to bring us to depend upon Him more to supply all of our needs. He uses those difficult times to remind us he's God, he's in control and thus he's the one who is to be served. So, God uses storms to bring us to depend on him more and even to sanctify us. We know that many of you have experienced that. It's hard, no doubt. But Jehovah uses it for our good. So knowing his providence... Knowing his providence, we thank him for all he has given us, even in hard times, and we thank him even for those hard times. He's a wise and good God to us. And second, in regard to the explanation for Paul's prayer of thanksgiving, he made this prayer of thanksgiving as one who is not ashamed of being God's friend. He was not ashamed of being God's friend. Before he prayed in thanksgiving in the presence of many unbelievers, Paul said to them in verse 23, There stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whose I serve. Paul was God's friend, and he knew it. He knew he belonged to God. And he was certainly not afraid of speaking about how he was God's friend. And that is through Jesus Christ alone. That's the only way he could be friends with the Holy God. And he was not afraid to talk about that. Romans 1 verse 16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Paul knew it was only because of Christ's work on the cross that he was God's friend and he was so thankful, he was so happy about that, that he was willing to pray to God. His friend in the presence of these unbelieving pagan men. We are also so happy and so thankful to be God's friends in Jesus Christ that we are willing to pray to Him even in the presence of unbelieving men who may ridicule us. We know our sin. We've heard about that today. We know our sin, that we deserve to have the anger of the Almighty God who ruled those violent seas. We deserve to have His great wrath come upon us for those sins and to go to hell. That's not the way it is for us. God has sent Jesus. And we are God's friends through Christ. And He makes us even know we're His friends through the preaching, even that preaching we hear tonight. And we're so thankful. We're so thankful for that and so happy that we are God's friends that we're willing to speak to Him as His friends in prayer, even in front of others. We're happy and willing to do that by, the, by grace. God provides for us. So let's do that today. Knowing and believing the truth of God's providence and knowing we're God's friends. Let's give him thanks for the food and for all the gifts that he provides for us. Let's never be afraid to do it. Let's do it every day. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father which art in heaven, we come before thee and we are thankful for thy provision. May we give thanks to thee every day, many times per day, for all that thou dost provide, including the food. Lord, may thy name be glorified by us. Thou art worthy.